Hello everyone and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Jerry Texera. JT is the man behind the YouTube channel Bodyweight Strength Training, where he shares videos showing what he does to get strong, lean, and healthy using calisthenics and his diet. JT, thanks so much for coming on for an episode. Yeah, happy to be here, man. Yeah, so I've been following your Twitter account for a little while, and you you share some interesting uh, points on there, and also imagery, and particularly the one image you shared recently in a tweet was your trans- transformation change over the year. I think it was one or two years. Um, and I mean, your physique, I mean, was already great and it just got even better. Um, but that just, uh, and then looking at your YouTube channel with your body weight stuff, I thought you're going to be the perfect guest to come on to motivate people to move more and, uh, get strong just by moving their own body. Yeah. Um, I think that my, my approach over the years has evolved to just, um, minimalist fitness and nutrition. And I think that people have a tendency to focus on um, small things that at the end are very, very small drivers of change. And they tend to neglect the big levers that are going to drive change more. Um, And so I try to keep it simple um, and give people the tools to, to do that anywhere, you know, whether they have equipment, no equipment. Um, and, and it's the same thing with, with diet, you know, I, we can get into it later or, or you lead, you lead the discussion obviously, but, um, I eat a specific way, but it's not the way I think everybody needs to eat by any means. And regardless of whether you are, you know, vegan or if you're keto, low carb or whatever else, the same overarching primary principles are what are going to lead to reduced body fat, lower waist circumference. And so regardless of how you choose to eat the way of eating, it's the big levers that you want to adhere to. Like, so basically you could build an impressive physique as a vegan, not that I think it's the best way to go, but it's possible. And you can do it as a carnivore keto, you can do it different ways. And so a lot of times people focus on the little minutia that are not as critical and then they're missing the, the, the big, easy wins. You know what I mean? So I, so I kind of try to, on the one hand, I think sometimes in a low carb space, I, I don't get as much love as I could if I was a little bit more dogmatic or insistent on that. Um, but yeah, anyways, we could, whatever you want to unpack, we'll talk about it, but that's what I try to focus on minimalist fitness, basically. Yeah. And we're going to get into that concept. Um, but just exactly what you're explaining is why I wanted you on the show, because you talk about personalization or N equals one, which is what it's, you know, I'm all about too, saying, hey, right. there's many ways that uh, we, we can do this health journey. Um, and also, I love the, the concept of um, sustainability throughout all your years of life. So, you know, a 20-year-old listening to this versus a 60-year-old listening to this, both of them could get started with bodyweight training, which is, and Absolutely. they can do it anywhere in the world listening. And that's what I love about this too. Right. So with that, actually, can you just explain that concept you mentioned earlier uh, of minimalist fitness? What, what, what do you mean by minimalist fitness? Um, so I think that you had it, it, around in the 70s, I think, is where it originally came from. And you had the basically eat less, move more common you know, recommendation um, as the obesity epidemic started to kind of take root. And as, as especially in the West, we started to become less healthy. And I think that eat less and move more it, conceptually at a high level, like I don't think it's necessarily bad 
but I think that there's lots of issues with it um, when it comes to application. And so with minimalist fitness to me is, you know, if, if you look back at, um, if you look at natural selection, if you look at how a species evolves without interference from technology, I think there's value in viewing the world through that lens. And I think especially on a biohackers podcast, this will make sense. I, I try not to get into where I'm succumbing to the naturalistic fallacy, right? Just because something's how we did it 75,000 years ago, doesn't mean that's the best way to do it today because we have science and we have technology. And so I think you've got to look at both and, but with, with that being said, there's a tendency to overcomplicate everything. So with minimalist fitness, it, an example would be if somebody loves lifting and they say, man, I really like going to the gym. I enjoy it. Then by all means, I'm going to support you going to the gym and lifting iron. If that's what you like to do, that's what you should do. Right. And if you don't really like that environment, if you don't like the gym, if you don't like to lift, you can do body weight strength training that is going to give you a, a similar result if you adhere to the same basic principles. So you should focus, for example, when I say minimalist, you should focus on compound movements. And those movements are going to give you the best bang for your buck, the, the best result in the minimal amount of time. Whether you're lifting a barbell or you are working with your body weight, if you're focusing on compound lifting, that would be like one of the principles of a minimalist fitness program, right? Obviously, with body weight, you can do it with no weights at all. You're just utilizing the body, manipulating the body. So that's the ultimate, ultimate minimalist approach. But you know, somewhere in the 50s and 60s, you started seeing all this proliferation of gym equipment, Nautilus machines and all this crazy stuff. And you don't need any of it. You can use it. it there's, they're like tools in a toolbox. I'm not anti using any of that stuff. But for 99% of people, never touching a machine is going to yield a superior result than using all this crap that's in the gym. And so with a minimalist, with a minimalist fitness approach, it, it doesn't have to be body weight. What it really comes down to is um, basically focusing on the things that are going to give you the best results in the least amount of time and then going from there. And so whichever way you want to expand on that, we can definitely do that. Okay. So yeah, it's not just body weight fitness with a minimalist fitness concept then it's in general, the, that, as you said there, when it comes to movement, that we want to be doing compound movements so that you get the biggest bang for your buck and the least amount of effort or the least amount of time. So instead of just doing an individual bicep curl, you'll do a bigger movement that will incorporate the biceps, but as a whole, as a whole unit involved in the arms and the shoulders and the, the chest maybe. Yeah, so to give you an example, if you were to do a pull-up, um, when you do a pull-up, and I know a lot of people are not at a point where they can perform pull-ups yet. It, you've got to build to that. But if you do a pull-up, you're training the biceps. You're also working not only um, the, the muscles in the back from top to bottom. A lot of people think of pull-ups as a way to work the lats, but they actually work the entirety of the back when you do them through a full range of motion. And so something like a pull-up, especially if you're doing what on my YouTube I show as what's called a hollow body pull-up. Um, you're engaging the anterior portion of the body, the front of the body, and the rear of the body. The musculature is having to hold an isometric contraction while you're pulling yourself up over the bar. So in one movement, you're training nearly the entirety of the body versus doing a bicep curl where if you spent five minutes curling or you spent five minutes on pull-ups, you're going to get a much more efficient session 
by doing the pull-ups. It doesn't mean that a bicep curls without merit or should never be done. Um, but there's actually some interesting studies that have come out of Brazil over the last four or five years where they've taken a, a basically training regimen of compound movements. So squat, deadlift, thinking mul multiple joints being used. Um, and then they took a, a control group and they had them do the exact same workout. And then they added uh, leg and they basically flexion and extension of the arm. So bicep and tricep curl and extension. And same thing with the legs. And what they ended up finding is that there was no additional strength or hypertrophy, any statistically significant anyways, experience from adding the additional um, isolation work. So that's one of the reasons why if you are, especially into biohacking, I think one of the things that's regardless of the approach being used, I think everybody is kind of into efficiency, right? It seems like that's, that's an underlying current within the biohacking community. And so if you're going to invest this time into training and you're looking to build strength or, or mitochondrial density or whatever it is that you're, that you're training for with relation to longevity and all of that, um, your time is better spent focusing on the compound movements. And for, for advanced bodybuilders and people like that, um, isolation work maybe would have benefit. But when you look at the research out of Brazil, even if additional isolation work would have benefit, for example, you want to build bigger biceps, if you were doing the compound movements, you'd still build bigger biceps, but you would also build a bigger back. So at the end of the day, for most people, the, if you want additional work, you're still better to add additional compound movements as that work. Um, the caveat to that would be maybe in the form of if you're doing high volume training and you're worried about overstimulating the central nervous system with deadlifts, with squats, with things like that, then maybe you work some isolation stuff in. So, so like I mentioned, there's a place for it and there's some nuance, but for, for most people getting your compound movements in push-ups, pull-ups, squats, bench press, deadlift squats, you know, military press, handstands, they, there's an equivalent body weight strength element to just about anything you can do in the gym. And sometimes you just have to know how to, um, how to progress to mimic what you're doing with iron basically. Um, but that's the stuff that I recommend people focus on because it, it's the hard stuff. It's the hard work that people tend to not do, right? If you've ever deadlifted, it's not easy. And if you've done heavy squats, it's also not easy. Um, and so a lot of people tend to skip that stuff and they do a lot of curling and tricep extensions. And it's a shame because the stuff they're skipping is the stuff that's going to yield the biggest result. But as is human nature, it's the hardest stuff to do. It's physically taxing. It's physically demanding. So we tend to skirt around it and do a lot of isolation work and a lot of the easy stuff that at the end of the day for most people is shooting themselves in the foot because it's, it's less efficient and it's gonna, they're going to get less out of it. Mm -hmm. And do you think then with what you're talking about here, people are going to get a more functional strength out of it too? So comparing just weightlifting just for the sake of trying to grow muscle, you also want to be able to get strong. You actually want to be able to do um, heavy lifting in uh, a normal day-to-day -day situation like picking up heavy groceries or you know carrying your child around. Do you think that the compound movements give you a better strength? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I, I talk about is having no weak links. And so 
whenever, like, like on my YouTube channel, you can find complete training sessions. So you can go there and, and get an entire workout um, that you can do. And one of the things that is an underarching principle behind bodyweight strength training is that everything that you do requires multiple joints and multiple muscle groupings to perform. Majority of it is full bo- true full body. So, you know, when you do a push-up, you are holding a plank. You have to engage the core. You have to engage the glutes, the quads. Most people can hold a plank. It's not that it's that difficult. But when you are on a bench and you're doing a bench press, you don't have to engage the entirety of the musculature like that. Um, although depending on how you bench, you can do it that way. And, and, and But it's not a prerequisite. And so especially for people who are somewhat new to training, you, you have to hold the plank to do the push-up. And as the push-up progresses and you start transitioning into um, uneven push-ups and then one-arm push-ups, the amount of basically rotational torque and, and core strength that is required is much, much higher than you would ever get on a bench press. So for a lot of the bodyweight strength training, there really is a full body strength that has to be developed over time in order to progress. So, so you literally can't progress without building everything in the kinetic chain where, yeah, with, with weightlifting, you could bench press. And especially if you are not cognizant of how to incorporate the rest of your body to help you with that lift, which most people aren't, you can just build, you know, the term isolated chest strength. You can be building pressing strength and not building much else. So I would say it's easier with traditional barbell work or iron work to have imbalances um, or to have, you know, the term is functional strength. I think any strength you build will help you function. So it's a little bit of a misguided term, but I understand what people mean when they use it. And definitely as you're progressing with bodyweight strength training, it is transferable to real life and everyday situations. Um, And I get that feedback quite a bit. I've had people that want me to write custom training programs for them. I've had guys that are jujitsu athletes. I've had people that are, that are semi-professional surfers and they, and they lift and they do know what they're doing. And then they'll actually devote themselves to eight weeks or 12 weeks of bodyweight strength training. And I routinely hear them say, Hey, I didn't realize I was weak in this area. I didn't realize I was weak in this area. Sometimes it's core strength or glute strength. And, and they'll find that they are able to address those things and see an, inc- an increased improvement in their other athletic pursuits. So yeah, I do think that because everything that I program, at least everything on my channel, it's all full body that you are having to use all of those muscle systems together where people have a tendency to isolate when they go to a gym in a traditional program. They don't have to do it that way, but it just tends to happen that way. Mm. And so, yeah, I think especially for people who are not a trainer or they're not, um, they've not spent a lot of time researching, um, how to best, program a traditional weight training session, it, it's really easy to get into and do it well. With, so, so yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the appeals for the, for the average person is that you don't have to be super knowledgeable. You can get into it, you can start doing it, and you're going to see real increases in strength across all, all the musculature from head to toe, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, sometimes you see in gym people doing some very unique movements on equipment that's not designed that to have that type of movement and so doing bodyweight training you're going to avoid that embarrassment of using the machine inc- incorrectly too hopefully yeah and, and the biggest thing is um 
you, you can injure yourself. Obviously you can slip and fall in the shower. Like there's always a chance of injury with anything that you do, but with body weight strength training, there is no manipulating and heavy external load. So you're, you're never loading your spine under a barbell. You're not deadlifting. And to be clear, I do think a deadlift for most people is a great movement. And I think a squat, a loaded squat's a great movement. But the thing that people don't always realize is that those movements are technical in nature. And it is actually done improperly, really easy to injure yourself. If they're done properly, it's not. Injuries are not common. If you do them properly, you can do them for a lifetime and, and, and not sustain injury. But the problem is most people, if they've not hired a professional at some point, or they don't have a professional who's willing to look at video and offer critique and help them, um, the, most people in my, in my view shouldn't even be under a weighted barbell. It should just be a barbell with no weight for probably a month to two months, getting the movement pattern down to where they're doing it well. So from that point on, they can load the barbell and not have to worry about it. With body weight strength training, I've yet to have someone sustain an injury over the years. The only thing, and this is common to any type of training, people will, uh, people will practice certain movements frequently, and you can get what are commonly termed repetitive use injuries, you know, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, things like that from a lot of pull-ups. So sometimes you've got these injuries that require deep tissue massage or, um, you know, tight musculature, we've got to back off your training a little bit. But your likelihood of sustaining an injury is extremely low. And when it comes to loaded um, weight training, if not done properly, the likelihood of, of sustaining an injury can go up quite a bit. So I, so I think for beginners, especially people who, for one reason or another, are going to train at home by themselves, it, it's, a really, um, it's a really good system for you feeling like you can comfortably push yourself to, to get results yet have a very low chance of sustaining an injury or, or, or messing yourself up in any way. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's one of the things that I think it lends itself really well to. Yeah. And I just think of um, people potentially listening to this podcast, you know, the, the full spectrum, they're going to be people who are just generally um, well and maybe normal body weight who just want to get fitter or healthier. And then mm -hmm. you're going to have two, two of the other opposite ends of the spectrum. And typically we see this, the one spectrum where people t are overweight and they, I mean, that's why I've had stories on here where people lose 50, 100 pounds in weight, you know, big, right. massive amounts. And someone who might be listening to this, this podcast right now who's in that category, um, you know, so they're starting a diet and they're going to try and lose the weight that way. But also when it comes to a body weight training point of view, have you ever had, some, had to coach someone who's been in that state and, and how do they even begin? So one of the things that, um, one of the things that would happen if you are – what most people think of when it comes to body weight training, they think, okay, like for example, push-ups. If you have a hundred pounds to lose, your fat to muscle ratio is going to be very poor. So while you may weigh 250 pounds, you're going to have a large percentage of that's going to be body fat, which means that you are moving a significant amount of weight with each repetition, but you're doing so with a deconditioned muscle. It's going to be really hard for you. And so what I do on my YouTube is I have everything organized by playlists and there are primary eight primary movement patterns that I think people should incorporate. And those eight movements are going to train everything from head to toe. And what I do is each playlist starts from absolute deconditioned beginner, giving you a movement that you should be able to perform with regardless of your, your power to weight ratio. So as an example, um, if you are very heavy, you would begin push-ups, or I think you guys call them press-ups, 
but you would begin these against the wall. And so by doing them against the wall, and you can be standing straight up, you are moving a much lower percentage of body weight. And then as you start to build a little bit of strength week after week, you would just move your feet further from the wall so that you are leaning into the wall a little bit more. And that way you're basically applying a little bit higher percentage of your body weight into the movement. And then over some time, as you build strength, you would take your hands off the wall and put them on the back of, say, a couch or a, or a high back chair. And now you are basically increasing the percentage of body weight being pressed by the pressing musculature a little bit more. And it slowly takes you down to full push-ups. And the reason that's important, and this goes back to your point earlier, is if you were very overweight, I could stick you on a bench and you could bench press right away. We just manipulate the weight to a weight that you can move. Um, but the problem is that bench press is only going to build the pectoral muscles, some delts, triceps. It's going to build a limited number of muscles, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if I put you against the wall doing, doing push-ups or press-ups, what's going to happen is doing push-ups requires you to develop the core musculature, the glutes. It requires you to develop the full kinetic chain because you're holding yourself in a plank while you do your push-ups. And so uh, what'll help illustrate this for people is I've had a lot of females um, across social media and they'll be working on their first push-up. And I've had males with this as well, but primarily women, less upper body strength. And so they're working on push-ups and somewhere along the way, they were told to put their knees on the ground and do push-ups with their knees down. And the problem with that, I don't ever recommend that. And the reason why is it is basically taking, you don't have to engage the core. It takes the glutes out of the movement. So if you take your stand up on your feet and then put your hands on an elevated surface, like either on the wall or the back of a chair. Now you're in that plank position. You have to engage the core. You engage the glutes. I've had women that have been working on push-ups on their knees for months and could never get a full push-up. And the reason is because they're not lacking the pressing strength in the upper body anymore. It's the core and the rest of the musculature that never got the work because they were on their knees. And so that's why what I did is I took every movement in, in my channel and I did a basically from absolute beginner, like I mentioned, and then you slowly, once you've mastered one progression, you move to the next progression and the next progression. And then I've got it where I still have to keep adding to it. I'm not done. I've only got, you know, so much free time, but it, some of the stuff, for example, push-ups, I, I have it to where you could be incredibly strong and a very advanced athlete, and you're going to struggle with the higher level push-ups I have on there. Um, so someone can come into it that's listening that's never worked out before. And like in my case, I've got kids at home. Um, the time that it used to take me to drive to the gym and drive back to my house and then wait around for equipment, I get my entire training session done at home. And so the efficiency makes it much more sustainable for me. Um, and, you know, for people that are, that are busy running businesses, they've got families, I think that's, that's a big positive. And so if the time commitment has ever been an issue, this type of training lends itself to being performed anywhere. And so you can easily take it with you on the road. You can do it at home. And no matter your skill level, you can start from absolute beginner or even if you're a very advanced athlete and you just happen to not have a gym for the week because you're on vacation, you can go to my channel and skip past the beginner progressions and you can find the more advanced progressions and you'll, you'll find work there that will challenge you regardless of your skill level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that tip you gave there is great. Um, cause I mean, we were talking about weight being one factor here, but even age and, and strength is a big one. So someone who is 
never done any sort of training and they're maybe feeling a bit frail in their 60s uh, or 70s, I mean, wall push-ups is a great way for them to begin too. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's similar to, for example, squats. You can start with bodyweight squats and your legs are used to carrying your body around. So most people can do a fair number of bodyweight squats. Um, and you may take, it may take you 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 repetitions before you get to a point where you are nearing some type of muscular failure, which is important. You don't have to train to complete muscular failure to, to build muscle. Um, but what happens is if you are performing reps, let's use push-ups or squats, for example, if you're performing reps that you could do and you still have a lot of, le- a lot of reps left in the tank, you're not going to recruit enough muscle fibers to stimulate hypertrophy and really cause any muscle growth. And so regardless of how you do your programming, whether you're lifting with a barbell, whether you're doing body weight training, you've got to get to the point where the velocity of the movement takes some actual work. So what I mean by that is if you're doing squats and they take you three seconds a piece, for example, if you can continue banging them out at three seconds a piece with no additional perceived effort, you're not really building any muscle what is getting you to the point where you start building muscle is recruiting muscle fibers to where the velocity of the movement starts to require more effort on your part. So if your first 10 squats are easy, three seconds a piece, you're banging them out and you don't feel any difference. You need to keep going until all of a sudden, maybe it's squat number 11 and you go, Oh, I feel that shift where it took a little more effort to sustain that pace. Right. And then Maybe with another four squats, you would have gotten to a point where you couldn't do any more at all and you would have failed. You don't need to do the last squat to build muscle. You don't have to go until you absolutely can't go anymore, but you do need to get into that group of repetitions where you're recruiting muscle fibers and it's requiring a higher perceived effort. And so the problem and why, because people ask me, well, you're, you're very muscular or whatever. Um, how come other people I see doing pushups on Twitter or doing body weight training are not built very well? And the reason is most people don't take bodybuilding principles or principles from, from strength training that are typically in the, the barbell realm. So they don't take those principles and then bring them across into, you know, this is why I call it bodyweight strength training because I want people to shift their mindset to focus on building strength. And if you look at gymnasts, gymnasts build a very impressive amount of muscle without ever touching a weight. My daughter has been a gymnast. She's going to be 14. So she's done it for 10 years and there's not, they don't have weights in their gym at all. And most gyms don't. Um, when gymnasts get to, you know, collegiate level, when they get to the Olympic level, I'm sure they they've got, they're incorporating other things. Um, but the hypertrophy and the muscle that you see on gymnasts is primarily built with just calisthenics, but gymnastics is a strength sport. And so their focus is building strength through progressive calisthenics. And so that's kind of the approach that I took toward my progressions. The difference is gymnasts are trained from the time they're little kids. And so mobility, flexibility, all that stuff is, is and it, it, you, you couldn't take an adult and just stick them into, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it myself, you know, just stick them into the kind of training that a gymnast is going to do. But I tried to take that, those same principles and that's, really the beauty of the progressions and the scaling system is um, research is pretty clear that you can, from a, from a hypertrophy standpoint, 
you can build muscle efficiently with with a lightweight, a relatively lightweight, and a lot of repetitions if you're taking the muscle, basically, like I mentioned, close to momentary muscular failure. It doesn't have to be heavy weight. Um, the downside to that is, yes, you can stimulate hypertrophy. So that means if you did standard push-ups and you just did a lot of repetitions of push-ups, as long as you're getting close to muscular failure, you can build muscle that way, but you're not going to build strength efficiently that way. And so I favor as you are performing whatever the movement happens to be, if you, if you can already do a lot of push-ups in a set, then look at the progressions and think, how do I make my push-ups harder so that I don't do 30 push-ups in a set? How do I do eight or nine and, I, and, if, and that's all I can do? How do I scale to that? So what I try to do is make it where obviously in a gym or, or you know, even with a home gym, if you can do 14 reps on the bench press, for example, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to throw another two and a half pounds on each side. Now I can only do eight. And so what I've tried to do is give people a tool where as they get better at whatever movement they're working on, when they get to where that movement starts to become high repetition, they just look at the progression tree and say, hey, this, this push-up or this squat is easy for me. Let me scale to the next movement. And so that's basically what the progression tree and what, the, the, what scaling to the next movement is referencing is it's a way to mimic adding more weight to the bar in a gym without having a bar or a gym, basically. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I mean, and eventually someone will get to that stage as you see sometimes in the videos where they can hold on to a, a pull-up bar and they can sort of look like they're walking up steps or, you know, they do these crazy things. And you think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how did you even just do that? And, and, and one thing for people that are listening, what I, what I really try to do is when you look at the research on longevity in humans, and that's really where, where my passion is, and I think for biohacking, that's what most people are really interested in, is we want to live as long as possible with regards to lifespan, but not at the expense of not having an optimal health span. And so that's one of the reasons why, to me, resistance training is so critical, because people will ask me, well, what about endurance work? What about running? And all forms of physical activity are strongly correlated to human longevity. So just being active at all is very good for you. And I support whatever safe form of exercise you want to do. I'm, I'm definitely supportive of it. Um, but the strongest correlate within that to longevity is strength. And the reason for that is, you know, if you look at hip fracture, catastrophic injury is the third or fourth leading cause of death, at least in, in America. I'm, you know, not, haven't looked at the statistics worldwide, but when you have a stronger body, the reason that I think you see that correlation is when you can no longer live independently, quality of life tends to go down rapidly when you're not able to take care of yourself. And so I think, number one, battling sarcopenia, muscle loss, um, but then just being able to live independently. I think as long as you live independently, you from, from mental acuity and all the other things, I, there, there's a very strong correlation between independent living and longevity. And so I, that's because people will ask me, why, why strength? And at its most basic level, that's why I think focusing on strength. If you get stronger, you're going to also experience hypertrophy. You're going to build some muscle along the way. So everybody may not care about having big muscles or, or bodybuilding at all. But when you're talking about sarcopenia and, and age-related muscle loss, having a little extra muscle is beneficial um, for multiple reasons, but especially because now sarcopenia is probably not going to be an issue because you're strength training. 
But in addition to that, you've built some extra muscle. And I have, I even have women, one woman, um, Monica on, on my Twitter. I don't want to say how old she is. Cause actually she made me promise I wouldn't say now that I think about it, but she's not, she's not super young, but she's gotten phenomenal results. And I mean, her shoulders are lean and muscular. Her arms are getting muscular, her back, like she, you can find her on there. And, um, she, but she's at the age where sarcopenia is starting to affect adults for sure. And she looks phenomenal. And this has happened over the last year. She's one of the first followers I had on Twitter. And so now you have this woman that, you know, God forbid a heart attack, a stroke, cancer, or God forbid any of that stuff would happen to any of us. But if those things happen to you, oftentimes the recovery from those types of, of maladies depends on having a strong body right? You, if you, you can handle more chemotherapy, you can handle more aggressive treatments. If you're a more, um, hardy specimen, for lack of a better word, um, natural selection, the strong survive there, there's an upper limit. You know, when you see professional bodybuilders, I don't think that's healthy. Uh, and so I'm, I'm definitely not advocating that, but having some extra muscle, I think shields you in, in the event of like a catastrophic injury, like a car accident, muscle shields, the organs, it increases your chances of surviving a, a physical injury, um, but then it also increases your chances of surviving various medical emergencies that, that could happen. And beyond that, like I mentioned, it increases your ability to live freely. Um, and so for those reasons, I think building muscle and, and building strength are going to benefit everyone. Um, and so for somebody who prefers endurance training, if you love to run, if you like to cycle, um, that can be your primary mode of training. And you can continue to do that because number one, you should enjoy your life. You know, and if something's enjoyable to you, I always preach that that should be your foundation. But most athletes who are endurance athletes, they have now started, at least at, at competitive levels, they now squat, they, they, they incorporate compound movements because it's the best thing you can do for injury prevention. And so even for people who are listening and, you know, they maybe think like, oh, you know, strength training is not for me. I love to run. I encourage you to continue to run, but think from a, you know, making yourself a hardier specimen, add some, some strength training, even if it's two days a week, that's all you need really. Um, and for the people that really enjoy strength training, you can make that your primary mode of training. Um, but there is benefits to endurance training. So it's still a good idea to add some endurance training in with your strength training as well, or modify your strength training um, so that it, it has shorter rest periods for, for some metabolic conditioning. Um, there's, there's a lot of nuance when it comes to, you know, programming various workouts. And I dig into that on YouTube. Um, but I do think that the, the correlate between strength and longevity for those reasons, I think it's important to focus on it. And then um, the other thing to keep in mind is that a larger muscle is going to contain more mitochondria. And so when you carry a little more muscle, um, your glucose disposal ability goes up, your, your total energy that you can intake without negative consequences goes up. Um, so regardless of the condition of the muscle, having additional muscle is beneficial. And if you build additional muscle and it's conditioned well athletically, um, you're, you're going to have that much better of a shot at a better health span, better lifespan. Um, you may not experience this as much in the biohacking sphere. I think people kind of get that exercise is really important is one of the levers that's really important. Um, but in a low carb community, I see a lot of people that are resistant to exercise. Um, 
and when you look at the literature, there's no, it's just not supported that way. There, there's a lot of mechanisms uh, at the cellular level that are shared between exercise and diet. So for example, if you're fasting, if you're keto, if you are going through different forms of dietary stress, those things do activate different longevity genes. Um, but to only manipulate them through diet and not manipulate them through physical activity is cutting yourself short. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, wearing both shoes and making sure that you are getting the benefit of, of activating those things through physical activity and activating them through diet. And then if you're into sauna and cold and all that, there's other ways to do it too. But the two that I think you've got it, you've really got to institute are, are going to be the diet, the lever for diet, and then that of physical activity. And then all the other ones you can start putting into that, depending on how deep into the rabbit hole you want to go. And I'm sure you, you know, you, your listeners are probably really into that stuff, but, but those are the two big ones. I think if you're trying to shortcut diet or you're trying to shortcut physical activity, I, I don't understand how anybody could make a case for either one of those, you know, based on, on the literature that we have based on what's out there. And those are great foundational things and why exactly I wanted to get you on. I knew you would be a good guest to get on because I, I completely agree with you. If it, it comes back to everything we mentioned right in the beginning there, that if you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, instead of investing in high-tech gadgetry, rather just change what you eat to be better for your personal situation and start moving your body more efficiently. And then from right. there, use that foundation to build build upwards to where you want to go and um yeah you touched on so many <laughs> so many excellent points that even from the psychology of being stronger you know that's the only thing people want when they're getting older too is just that i feel strong enough to get up from the chair and you know be independent and be able to do stuff that i want to do versus being held back because i'm not strong enough to do it and i'm feeling frail and i'm and my quality of life is starting to deteriorate so completely agree with you there jt i mean there's lots of amazing points you touched on yeah. And, and that's, um, that's one of the things that I think when we're young and, and when I say young, 40, even 45 years old, 50, you're not old, you know, I, but I think that because the age related declines in strength and muscle mass start to really take hold at a more advanced age, you are best served to try to get a head start on that process, you know, um, because, you don't want to have, and maybe you're 40 and you don't, your, your kids are like, in my case, my daughter's 13. I'm not thinking about grandkids, but when I do have grandkids, I don't want to not be able to keep up with them when we go to Disneyland or you take them to the park. You know, I, I want, if it's at all possible, I would like to sustain my quality of life today and be the same in 40 years. And there may be a natural decline in what you're able to do. Um, that, that comes with that age. But if you can still, I mean, there's, I've seen guys online that are 85 years old doing pull-ups, right? I mean, so if you can still, my great grandkids, if, if they run up to me at four or five years old, I want to be able to pick them up and, and carry them and, and all that stuff. And so I just think that if you want the best quality of life, and I think with, with biohacking, you're, you're basically trying to stack the deck to give you the best shot at doing and living the way you want to live for as long as possible. And so I think one of the things you have to look at is I've, I've got to strength train. I've got to take care of cardiovascular fitness. I've got to do these different things. Um, so now how can I do that in a sustainable manner? And so that's for me, 
why one of the reasons why bodyweight strength training has been sustainable is the portability of being able to do it anywhere in the world at any time. And then outside of that, that's also the incremental progressive manner. Um, to give you an example, like five years ago when I devoted myself to this style of training, I mean, I could do pull-ups, I could do push-ups, I could do that stuff. But I started looking at, at gymnasts and the not standing tucks, which are basically the gymnast term for, you know, backflips or tumbling. I'm, I'm not a gymnast, but the strength elements. So you look at the iron cross and you look at some of these brutally difficult movements. And I thought I wrote them all down and I was like, okay, I'm going to do all those in my lifetime. However long it takes me, I'm going to do them. And some of them, you know, a full front lever, full back lever. I've, I've got those, a, a planche. I just last week for the first time did a straddle planche. So some of the really advanced gymnastic strength elements I finally am doing, there's other ones I, I've probably got another year or two to get there. But what I, I was getting burned out on traditional lifting because when I was 19, I went to the gym for the first time and I bench pressed. Okay, so at 35 years old, I went to the gym and I bench pressed. It is the same thing for decades. And I was just going through the motions. I wasn't progressing anymore. There was no passion in it. I was just doing it because I knew I needed to do it. Um, but it became it became a, a complete uh, bore for me and I wasn't enjoying it at all. So when I switched to calisthenics, the cool thing was, you know, I couldn't do them at first, but you see the one arm push up, and you're like, Oh man, I wonder if I can even do that. And then you go through these progressions and you start doing skills that you at one point couldn't do. And when, and it takes you say a year or two years to get to this, this skill, there's kind of a built in reward where you're, you're excited about it. And I know that's not going to appeal to everyone. So I'm not suggesting that it's superior for everybody. But if you just don't like lifting, if you don't like going to the gym, or you've done it for a long time, and you feel like you're burned out, sometimes a change of scenery or a new challenge um, refreshes you. And so I've had that experience with a lot of people on social media where they give it a shot. And they're like, man, this is fun. I'm actually enjoying this, you know, they, they try to do a handstand and they're falling all over the place. Um, and so when you finally get a handstand after and it takes a lot of practice, but you know, that's something that most people haven't done since they were nine years old or 10 years old. And the other benefit, if you do have children and I, I get this feedback all the time, I've got kids of my own, your kids are going to want to get in there with you and start doing it a majority of the time. And so I have people all the time sending me DMS or posting pictures and tagging me of their 12 year old son working out with them on the rings or, you know, mother and daughter working out, the kids are playing around the equipment. So Another thing that I think is hugely beneficial is if you want to instill positive health habits in your kids, just like setting an example and having healthy food available, when they watch you working out at home, that's just what dad and mom do. So that's just what I do. You know, it, it really does just kind of gravitate naturally. And so that's one of the other big benefits. I think that um, the progressive nature of learning new skills, it makes it fun. And then I think if you do have kids, your kids wanting to get in there with you can slow you down sometimes. Um, but it's also, it's, it's fun for them and it's fun for the parents. So if you've got kids, that's definitely something that maybe you wouldn't normally think about that. I've seen a big benefit for people. And that's very true. I mean, your kids just want to play with you all the time. So in this case, instead of a parent just standing around the barbecue and not engaging, you know, that's the parent who's out there on the grass, you know, throwing the ball, playing with the kids just because they have the energy and the ability right. to, to do it. Um, right. Yeah, no, I think there's, uh, again, so many positive elements outside of just building strength here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, so I try to make sure I'm communicating. I, 
well, I call it body weight strength because I want the mindset of your focusing your goal, your primary goal is to build strength. Um, there, there's a lot of benefits. And, you know, one of the other ones that I didn't think about initially um, is in the summertime, at least, or spring when the weather's nice on nice days, you can train outside. Um, and there's actually research that shows that the same exercise performed in green environments or performed outdoors has additional benefit with, you know, you're, you're producing um, more, I'm going to be careful how I word it. it it's not going to make you lose fat better or, or you're not going to get better results out of that specific session. But people find it's more rewarding and they do find that sticking to the routine, the rates are much higher when exercise performed outdoors. So obviously in the winter, a lot of places, it, it, it's not ideal. But for, for a good portion of the year, a lot of people can go outside and do a good portion of their training session, if not the whole thing, in the backyard, at the park. And so you can take the kids and they're playing around on the playground equipment, you're there working out. Um, you can take your shirt off or wear a tank top, you're getting vitamin D. And so I, I did find, and I, and, and I get a lot of feedback from people that the outdoor training sessions, you, you start finding that you crave them. And exercise itself, when you're consistent, you start wanting to exercise. The body wants that, the endorphins and all that good stuff but especially getting outdoors and doing it. And if you think about it, you know, biologically, we evolved out under the sunlight. We evolved amongst nature. Now we spend all of our time in various boxes. Um, so, so it gives you another opportunity to get outside, get some vitamin D, be in nature, but at the same time, getting your strength training in. And so that's another benefit to it, depending on where you live. Yeah. And grounding, you know, so if yeah. we're getting oh, yeah. into more biohacking concepts here, take your it, shoes that, off. That's actually true. In the, in the, in the winter, I, I don't as much just because the ground's super wet and cold. But now I live in California. It's pretty temperate. And so like now it, it hasn't rained in a while and the backyard's not a swamp. So I, I do take my shoes off and, and get, get you know, my feet dirty when I'm out there working out. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. Barefoot footness, you know, that's a whole other concept of uh, body weight training your, the muscles in your feet. So yeah, getting out of it, shoes. I used to spend a lot of time in shoes and I had lower back issues and stuff when I was younger. And, and now from focusing more on incorporating glute specific movements and, and building core strength. When I used to, when I used to lift, um, and I deadlifted, I squatted, I did all that stuff, but I had some type of, you know, um, underdevelopment in certain areas and I wasn't quite sure. Um, I didn't pinpoint it well until I started getting into, bodyweight strength training. And what it, what it turned out to be was my glute medius was underdeveloped relative to the rest of my hip musculature. And I found that this is a pretty common problem amongst uh, most people who lift. And if you're a strength coach or if you're somebody with a lot of knowledge, maybe you're aware of this and, and that's not an issue. But for most people, even if they, they are doing a fairly solid program, um, the glute medius is responsible for controlling abduction and, and moving the leg away from the body. When you walk, when you run, that muscle is really important. And when you do a traditional squat or traditional um, movements, you don't train it well. And so the way that you really train it, if you think about it, uh, when you see women, women don't have this issue, but in men primarily they have this issue. There's the machine that you sit on where you do the, the glute um, abduction where you, you sit down and you're opening your legs. And for a lot of guys, you see that and you're like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. You know, <laughs> or, or you go to a gym that doesn't have that. Um, or you see primarily women, they'll take uh, exercise bands and put one around the ankle and attach one to the rack. And then they're, they're abducting the leg. Um, that movement I never really did uh, just because it, 
I'll be perfectly honest, just seemed like a girl thing, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but once I started bodyweight strength training, I just, you know, and in doing research and trying to figure out, okay, how do I get all of my musculature trained? How do I address all the muscles in the hips? I I realized, man, I, I've got an underdeveloped glute medius. How am I going to address that? And so I, I, I put that in there. Um, but that, that's definitely a muscle for anyone who's listening, regardless of what style of training that you do, I, I highly suggest addressing the glute medius because when that's underdeveloped, um, that leads to low back pain. That also leads to, if you're a runner, it can lead to increased chance of injury from, from running, um, hiking, any outdoor activities that you do, even just walking up and down stairs, uh, underdeveloped glute medius is, is not a good thing with regards to stability. And so that, that particular muscle, most people are, are not addressing adequately. Okay. And, um, I'm, I'm sure we could go through a whole bunch of different muscles here. Um, but what I'd like to probably just touch on now is what kind of results would you expect someone to get and the frequency of training? So I've, you know, I'm listening to, to you right now. I jump onto your YouTube channel. I check out all your playlists and I'm like, okay, I'm a beginner. <laughs> I'm going to take it gentle and I'm going to sure. start prog- progressing here. Do you also talk about saying, all right, if you're at that stage, I only want you to potentially be working out three times a week um, and it's and a session's probably going to take you anywhere from 20 minutes to 60 minutes. I don't know. It, what, what kind of frequency are we talking about here? Um, so there's research that was done um, looking at high-intensity training. So it, it was on an exercise bike. They, they were using a bike and it was three-minute sessions. And what they found is three minutes a week, basically an all-out sprint on a bike and then rest for like 10 seconds and then all-out sprint. I'm going off memory, so I could be a little bit wrong on how many seconds they rested for, but just three minutes in deconditioned adults. So they were, they were office workers. It produced significant improvements in biomarkers. So what I tell people is any amount of exercise that you can do is superior to none. And the small amount that you do, if that's all you do is a small amount, even if you can't see the difference, it's making a difference on a cellular level, right? That the adaptations to the training are taking place. So the first training session I have on the channel is, is a five minute a day session. And I suggest doing it every day that you're not sore. If that's every day, then I would do it every day for, for 30 days. And the reason is because we are creatures of habit. I, we like to think we're in control and we have unlimited willpower and, and we do have some willpower, but we've got to use it for various things. And so when you develop a habit for, for daily exercise, it becomes just a part of what you do, whether you're tired, you don't feel like it, it just becomes a thing that you do. And if you don't establish a habit of doing it, sometimes it becomes really easy to not do it at all. And so I do have a five minute session. That's only two movements. It's just squats and pushups. And remember from the earlier part of the conversation, when you do push-ups, you are working the core, you are working the, the muscles and the glutes, you're working not, not a lot, but you're developing a base level of strength and a base level of conditioning just from those two movements. And so if somebody starts there, what I would suggest is if you, if you perform the training session and you can finish it in five minutes or less, the next day, if you find that your, your, your chest is sore or your, or your legs are sore, just skip the next day. And the reason I say that is there's research that shows that in deconditioned adults, so in people that are not experienced trainees, when they train again and they still are experiencing delayed onset muscle soreness, and that, that's that next day or you know two days after, when you're still really sore and you push through a training session, you're not 
stimulating the same training adaptation. It's, it still hasn't recovered from the one before adequately. And so I would say if you're still sore, I would just skip rest that day and then start up again the next day if you feel like you're not sore. Um, the, the, the caveat there is active recovery can be done on any day. So if your legs are sore, going for a 30-minute walk will actually reduce the soreness. So I wouldn't do squats again the next day if the legs are still sore. But that doesn't mean you can't go on a bike ride. It doesn't mean you can't go for a nice walk. You can still work the lower body. And in fact, like I mentioned, that will help you with enhancing the recovery rates. So, but when it comes to a strength training session where you're focusing on the same muscles that you already trained, if you're still sore, I would just skip a day until you're not sore. And that's kind of the rule of thumb that I, that I use. And everybody has a different recovery rate. There are some people who can train five, six days a week and they can train with a heavier volume and they seem to recover fine. Their sleep is good. Um, and if that's you, then your training volume can be higher and that's okay. You know, sometimes you'll hear people that say like, oh, you shouldn't train more than say, for example, two days a week. And that can be true for certain people. Two days a week might be ideal for you. If you do a good training session and you're, and you're really sore the next day and sore again the next day, then maybe if you did upper body the one day, you can go lower body the next day. You, know, you, you can adjust your training program to allow you to target different muscles, obviously. Um, but I think that you're, you, you have to learn and when you're new, it you're going to learn this through experience. You have to learn what your recovery ability is. Um, at, you know, as we get older, sometimes that recovery ability is it goes down a little bit. Um, and a, a couple things you can look for if you've ever gone through a stressful time in life, where maybe it's work, maybe it's it's a relationship, but you find your sleep's not good, waking up multiple times during the night, and that's not normal for you. The signs and symptoms of going through enhanced stress are the same symptoms that you would get from overtraining or from not recover or under recovery, however you want to look at it. And so if you start an exercise program, um, you should sleep well, if not better than before. Usually that's what happens with exercise. If you find like brain fog, you can't think straight, you just feel exhausted all the time. Those are cues, you know, just like going through chronic stress that you're, that you're over exercising. It's just hard to give a blanket this is how much you should exercise because everybody is a little bit different here. And then diet comes into play. If you're eating enough protein, it's going to facilitate better recovery. If you're, if you're dieting, let's say you're trying to lose weight, that's already a form of physical stress on the body. And so when you're under eating to lose weight, your exercise volume should not be as high as when you are overeating. And so that's one of the reasons that I think I see, I've seen people really struggle is, you know, they, they maybe they're putting in the effort and they say, well, I want to lose weight. So going to start exercising and I'm going to reduce my total dietary energy and things are going, you know, great for two weeks or a month. And then the fat loss starts to slow down. So people either drop their calories more or they increase their exercise, which may not necessarily be a bad, um, they may not be a bad change. There's a time and a place for that. But what happens is the bigger, the caloric deficit, the more stress, you know, fasting is metabolic stress. If you're not, if you're fasting, you shouldn't be doing high level exercise for long periods, um, ideally. And so what happens is the more physical stress you're under, be it from exercise or from diet or emotional stress from relationships or work, the more stress you're under, the more I think you should reduce your exercise and the less stress you're under. So the more ideal your living conditions are, the more I think you can handle additional exercise. So, so it's kind of a sliding scale. Hopefully that 
you know, working on a big project at work and you're burning the midnight oil and not sleeping as much, cut a day of exercise every week or, or, or cut the sessions a little shorter. And, but you're going to have to kind of play it by ear. And, and that, that's usually how I approach it. So if people ask me questions like, hey, here's what I've got going on. What do you think? I mean, I can try to help troubleshoot it a little bit, but, but it really is individualized. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the, the key concept. Personalization, individualized. Is, we're all individuals. We've, we've all got different lives and different stresses, stress levels and, if, and our own body and how it's coping with that. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you brought up some great points there. But I love because uh, recovery was the one question I wanted to ask you and you touched so many good points about that too. And even there, the concept of active recovery. So you're feeling that DOMS, you're feeling the pain but you can still do a little bit of movement, like go for a, a brisk walk or something, just to at least get some movement and probably utilize that time that you're trying to get into that habit to not sacrifice it, to say, all right, I've dedicated this time to, for active movement. Even though I can't do my body weight training today, I can still move my body through walking or uh, some other means, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. So you can basic yoga, stretching. Um, and that's one area that I <clears throat> seems to be a lot of, disagreement on um when it comes to stretching static stretching has a benefit when it's done either after you strength train or as a completely separate um activity some years ago it was really common people would do static stretching to warm up for exercise and then some studies came out that showed that it doesn't help and that it potentially could increase the risk of injury from the exercise and so then what you got is the camp that said oh all stretching is bad all the time. Just lift and don't stretch, uh, which is, I, I, I don't ascribe to that at all. I, I think that when you're going to strength train, you're contracting, you're shortening the muscles. And then separate from the strength training or after the strength training, uh, static stretching can be beneficial. So on, on an active recovery day, it could just be, you know, maybe you're listening to a podcast or, or you're watching something and you're just going to hit, hit the floor and do 10 minutes of stretching. And then maybe you're going to use the foam roller. And if you don't own a foam roller, it's one of the best things you can get for $10. And it's just a way to, the best way to think about a foam roller is it's a device you can use to self massage. So if you work lower body the day before and the next day, your legs are really tight, you can get a foam roller and you just roll your legs out and it's just like getting a massage. And so it can just help again with knocking out that delayed onset muscle soreness um, so, so those are some things you can do. Like you mentioned, either going for a walk, going on a bike ride, or if you want to stay at home, you can stretch and foam roll and, and kind of address your soft tissue like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, some really good uh, points here. And I love it that you're sharing some practical tips for, you know, for people to get started too. So thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, yeah, of course. So I think we've been speaking for nearly an hour here and I know people now probably want to get up and go, I'm, I just... I want to move, <laughs> you know, I'm so much, and that's why I love it. I mean, just listening to you, uh, JT, I mean, I feel motivated to move now. I just want to, you know, pump out some wall push-ups or do something now because <laughs> just, instead of just sitting here. And that's exactly why I got you on is, is to bring that movement is medicine concept. You know, we ha movement is a, is a key foundation to staying healthy. It's not just nutrition alone. Um, and I think you've definitely motivated people to, to get moving. So if people want to, You've mentioned it before, but this is a time to share. If people want to follow you or get started with a lot of the, the training um, exercises or, or uh, material that you have to share, where's the best place to find you? Um, so you, you can find me on Twitter is where I engage the most conversation.
conversationally. And um, I think it's just because it's a more conversational medium for lack of a better, you know, people generally go on Twitter to follow. I follow a ton of PhDs and researchers and stuff whose whose work I'm interested in. And so I'm on there to learn. And then of course, I want to share what I learn with others. So Twitter, um, if you're into social media, I'm also on Instagram and I try to be active on there, but it's just, I'm just less active on Instagram than Twitter, but I am on there. And then, you know, YouTube, I try to answer all the comments and, and questions that people have on YouTube. And the YouTube is just my name and Twitter. It's just my name, which is, you know, Jerry, J E R R Y. I'm sure you'll put it in the notes, but uh, the last name is a little complicated. So it's T E I X E I R A. And it's, it's a Portuguese name. Um, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have used that as my YouTube channel name, but, <laughs> but it is what it is. And I, I think if you type in body weight strength, I come up pretty early if not first yet, it'll eventually, I'm sure get to it, get there. But so you can type in body weight strength. I'm sure it'll come up. But, but other than that, um, you can type my name in and all of my content is no cost. So I do put full training sessions on YouTube. I, I'm going to continue to do that. Um, free time somewhat limited. So I, I, I get to it when I can, but if people have questions, if they've, if they need help with something, um, the way I figure out what to post is from people giving me feedback. So, so I definitely try to be open so don't feel like you can't reach out and ask questions. I mean, I definitely want to help. Um, what, what I've learned and the system I built, which I built it for myself just because um, we, my wife and I had a second child and I, I, it just was hard for me to get to the gym. And so I, I basically started bodyweight strength training and over the years got you know, to where I kind of like made progress and then was never even active on social media until about a year ago. And then answered one question for a doctor who shared a post and it just blew up from there. And so that's kind of where I had to think back, well, how did I progress from this to this? And that's how I started building this out. So the whole fun of it for me is I came up with a system that worked for me. And then I didn't really ever think about sharing it in all honesty. But then other people were like, hey, I don't have time. I mean, I can, we can make time. I can go to the gym, but it's just not convenient. I've got this, I've got that. Teach me how you're doing that or teach me what you did. And so that originally I was going to write an ebook and I, I talked to my wife about it. And I just decided that I wanted to get it in front of as many people as possible and help as many as pe people as possible sans a paywall. So for me, the long term, hopefully I get quote unquote YouTube famous enough that it create, you know what I mean? I, I wanted it to be available to everybody without a paywall. Cause if you see something you're like, Oh, this guy wants to charge me 30 bucks. I could probably make some money selling books, but I'm going to touch very few people. And so for me, it was about touching as many people as possible. And I'm, I do some, um, marketing consulting for restaurants, not in the fitness industry. Uh, and, and so I don't need this to pay my bills. Um, but one day if the YouTube grows to a point where, and Patreon and all that stuff, if it gets to that point, that's okay. But that's not, it's not what I, I don't have to do it that way because I, a lot of trainers, that's their, their career. And I get that. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. And I support paying people for their work and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so if you go to my YouTube and if you have questions, I will help as much as I can within reason, um, with the time that I do have. So, so definitely reach out, don't be shy and all that stuff. Well, I think anyone listening here will just uh, want me to say, you know, definitely thank you for sharing all of that material for free because so many people do learn by watching. And I mean, I'm one of those people that learns so much by watching YouTube videos too. 
Um, oh yeah, me too. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great concept that you're doing there to be able to share that information with people, and it will be making a massive impact in life. And you're going to get all the before and after photos and the stories that come just from you know following you and the concepts that you talk about. So you will be impacting people's lives, and I can see you be being one of these big famous YouTubers where you have a million people following you, and it just everyone's now into bodyweight training. And we've stopped watching you on morning morning shows on TV. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they treat me better than the doctors treated Paul Saladin. You know, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a that's a hot topic at the moment. So, um, but again, I will be sharing all the, all of that in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. It was a really enjoyable enjoyable conversation, and I look for, forward to following you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I had a good time. Mm-hmm.